Well, we've got some flowers up in the front. The first one is a pink rose that announces the arrival of Leah Grace Loverin to Mark and Heather Loverin. It's just in the last week or so. And so, are they here this morning? I, I didn't see that. At the, okay, if you know them, welcome the, the, the child into their house, Leah Grace. And so, what a wonderful gift the Lord has given to them. So, we'll praise God for them this morning for the arrival of their new daughter. The five roses up front are, are another influence of what's happened through, the, through our church family where five people have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's actually an FCA camp, a, a football camp, and as we sponsor and work with FCA, it becomes a branch of our church as well, ministry of our church, and so it's through the influence of FCA really that these uh, individuals came to faith. So let's praise God for that. Can we do that together? That's such good news. And remember, I tell you this sometimes, that if you do have the opportunity to share the good news with somebody and come to faith, we do want to celebrate it here on a Sunday morning and just to have them recognize. Because I, what I find out is that people who come to faith are looking for that white rose up in the front. And so they want that to be an announcement of what has happened in their lives when they come to know Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to return to our study out of the book of Mark. We've called the series The Jesus I Want You to Know because when we looked at what Mark wrote, we understood that Mark wanted us to get to know the real Jesus because as he wrote this gospel, he wanted us not to know the Jesus of our own making or the Jesus of human imagination or Jesus of human speculation, but he wanted us to know the Jesus of God's revelation to know the real Jesus and who he was, because what Mark understood, unless we know the real Jesus, we won't know the power of that Jesus in our lives. We're not going to change. Our life is not going to change unless Jesus changes that, that life in, within us and transforms us into the life that God wanted us to have. And so Mark is all about helping us understand who the real Jesus is. Now, we remember, we made a break as we went through our, our study through the book of Joshua for the last seven weeks. And, and we did that just so, simply to have a new kickoff for this fall. And if you remember, um, when Jesus, when we were in the book of Mark, we, we ended our study at chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4. And at that point, Jesus was up in the city of Capernaum. He was preaching to the crowd, and the crowd was so large that he, he moved down to the shoreline and got into a boat and began to teach this huge crowd from a boat so that he have a distance between himself and the crowd. And he spent a day doing that. And he taught all about the kingdom of God and what it was about, and he showed, taught some parables about it and some teaching about it. Well, that day went on, and it came to the end of the day, and he was still teaching. But he realized at the end of the day that he didn't even have time to go back to shore, get anything there, because he had an appointment with a man across the Sea of Galilee who was in need for him to touch his life. And so he told the disciples who were with him in the boat, stay in the boat, we're taking off, pull anchor and let's go. Well, they did. They pulled the anchor and they headed out. Little did they know that they were heading into the worst storm that they had ever experienced. Uh, gale force winds, uh, huge waves, titanic waves, crashing over the side of the boat to the point where the disciples looked at themselves and thought, you know, we're about to die unless something happens. And they look at Jesus and it looks like he's not doing anything because remember what's happening for him? He's sleeping peacefully in the back of the boat. So they're panicking, Jesus is sleeping, and the disciples say, we got to wake him up, and they come to Jesus and say, don't you care that we're about to die? 
Well, that's not the best thing to say to Jesus, but he does wake up, and he does see the panic on their face, and so the thing that he says is, peace, be still, and he's not acquiring the hearts of the disciples. What he's doing is he's calming the storm, and the waves cease, and the wind stops, and all of a sudden there's a great calm upon the waters. And that's when Jesus looks back to his disciples, and he says, have you no faith? Now, why does he ask them that question? Remember why he asked them that question? Because what he understood is that they didn't realize who he was. And they didn't realize that he cared for them and that he would take care of them. When they asked him the question, don't you care? And Jesus is saying, my sleeping is not because I don't care. My sleeping is because I don't have any cares. I don't have any fear. God has called me to go to the other side, and we're going to go to the other side. But that day, if you remember, that day we realized... That, that they learned that Jesus was Lord over all the natural world. He was Lord over all creation. And so they discovered the Lord, the real Jesus, was Lord over the natural world. Today, in the, in the passage that we're looking at, the disciples are once again going to be with Jesus, and they're going to learn that Jesus is the Lord over the supernatural realm that he's the Lord over the supernatural world as well. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to look at chapter 5, the beginning of that chapter. And I've got 20 verses that I want to read, and I'm just going to read them, and I want you to follow along as I read them so you get a taste of, of what this passage is all about. So here's how it begins. And they went across the lake to the region of the Gerizines, and that was from, that's on the eastern shore of the, of the Sea of Galilee. They were up at Capernaum, which is in the northwest. They are now traveling down to the eastern shore. They have already done it. So they went across the lake to the region of the Gerizines. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. And so they had been able to do it, but his power kept increasing. So the more they tried to bind him, the more they were unable to do that. And so it says no one is able to bind him even with chains. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the iron with his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him, and night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out. People were hearing this. He would cry out and cut himself with stones. When Jesus saw, when he saw, excuse me, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees before him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, okay, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the region or the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding in the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out, and they went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
Those who had seen it told the people who had, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And so as Jesus is getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed begged him to go, to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And so the man went away. He began to tell in Decapolis, that's 10 cities in this region, began to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now, I have never seen anything like that in my lifetime. And maybe you haven't either. I've seen people who are under the influence of Satan. I've met people who are sold out to Satan. I've met people who are attacked by Satan. But I have never seen anybody who is possessed to the level that this man was possessed by demonic presences in their lives. But that doesn't mean it's not true for every pastor. There, there are pastors who have met this kind of opposition. I think of a story by a pastor named John Lindahl who talks about how he had a phone call from a lady one day who just called and was looking for a pastor because she called, well, what she said was, do you have the ability to cast out demons? And he said to her, well, I can pray for you and, and the, that the demons would leave. And so she invited him to come to his house. And so he, he asked one of his associates to go with him. And together, those two men went over to the house of this woman. And when they arrived at the door, they're escorted in and they're brought down to the basement where when they, when they get down to the basement to see this boy about 14 years old, he is a slender built. It doesn't look like he has any strength at all. He's in his underwear only. But around his chest are chains, chains that have been wrapped around his chest. And out of that major chain there, there are other chains that have, are extending out from those chains to the walls, and they're eye-bolted into the walls so that he is held like this in the basement. And, and, and so he can't go anywhere, wherever, I mean, he, he doesn't have the freedom to go about in the basement. And they see that, and, and the first thing that she tells them when they see that is that don't go up to him, don't touch him, because he'll break your arms. And, you know, and they're looking at this boy, he's 14, he doesn't look that strong at all, and, and, and they say to her, Pastor John says to her, are you sure? And she says back to him, yeah, I'm sure. There's a man who's in the hospital a couple months ago because of what he did, my son did to him. And, and Pastor John Lindahl remembers visiting a man in the hospital, he says, in the story, who was six foot two, 250 pounds, and he was in the hospital because a 14-year-old boy had broken his arm and broken his leg and broken some of his ribs. And, and so they realized who they were dealing with here. Well, together, those two pastors began to pray. And they prayed for this, this boy to, to, the demons would leave. And over a period of time, as they continued to pray, they recognized six different times when demons left or a demon left this boy. Finally, it got to the point where, I mean, all the screaming was done, all the chanting was done, all the, you know, all the convulsions were done, and the boy was sitting there uh, peacefully on the floor. So they unchained him, and, and they talked to him, 
And he told them the fact that, you know, they wanted to know, how did you ever get to this point? And he talked about how what had happened is he was attacked when he was younger, and he was bullied and all this kind of stuff. And so he prayed that Satan would come and give him the power that he didn't have. And that's exactly what happened. That that was the beginning of his demon possession. I mean, now the story doesn't end well because even though this, this young boy was set free, uh, when they left, they found out that the boy asked Satan to come back into his life because he wanted that power back. And after a short period of time, that young boy took his life. But you know what? That is the power and the presence of demons in our world, isn't it? I mean, and even though many of us have never had encounters like that, we know that we live in a world where there's demonic influences on our, can be upon our lives where demons are looking to enter into people's lives. That's what they want to do. In fact, we have been warned, aren't we, as Christians, that we have to be careful of how we treat our spouses so that we don't even let the sun go down if we're angry with them, that we don't let the sun go down so that the devil can't have a foothold in our lives. And so the goal of Satan is always the same, to have demonic footholds into people's lives so that he can take control. Not so he can give control, but so that he can take control so that's what was happening to this man. So here we are in this story, and we're looking at the story of this man who has a demon possessing him, or multiple demons possessing him. It's got to be the worst case scenario that we can ever imagine. And, and, he, and these demons have so much control over this man's life that you can't even find the man. The man's been lost to the demons. He's completely taken over by demons to the point when Jesus asks him his name. I mean, it's not the man who speaks. It's the demons who speak through him and say, my name is Legion. Jesus wasn't talking to the demon. Jesus was talking to the man, but it's a demon who responds. And, because, and, and the reason that Jesus asked the name, because Jesus says, what is your name? The reason that Jesus asked him his name is because that's who he came to minister to. He didn't come to minister to the demons. He came to minister to this man, this man that he, he loved and wanted to care for, and he wanted to set free from this demonic things. I mean, you think of it, here's Jesus going from Capernaum down here in the middle of the night through a terrible storm because he knew that there was a young man, or not maybe even a young man here, but a, just a man, a tortured man, tormented by demons, who he could have the power to set free, and this man was going to listen to him and be set free from his demons. And so Jesus went there because he could say, tell that underneath this rough, rough exterior was a tormented and a tortured soul of a man who was still in the image of God, a man who still had a family, a man who still had relationships there in that region, but who had so tormented by these demons that he was living out in the tombs. And so Jesus went to set him free. And so he asked him, what's your name? But the man, as I said, didn't have the ability to respond at this point because the demons were in control. And the demon said, we are many. My name is Legion, and we are many. Now, I don't know why he told Jesus that because I'm sure this is not the demon's name. I mean, no, I can't imagine a demon having the name Legion. But he calls himself Legion because he's trying to intimidate Jesus because he understands Jesus knows something about a legion in the Roman army, that a legion represented 6,000 during a battle, 6,000 you know, uh, troop members in the, in the legion. And in, even in peacetime, a legion would hold about 2,500 2, soldiers. 
And so what he's saying is that we're a mighty force, Jesus. And so Jesus is already, I mean, you look at Jesus and he's already commanded these demons to come out of the man and they're resisting. And part of the resistance is, you know what? You know, we're a legion, we're strong, we're mighty in battle and we're going to fight against you. And they're telling Jesus that we're not intimidated by you. But here's the thing, Jesus wasn't intimidated by them either. I mean, as they try to intimidate Jesus, he's not intimidated whatsoever. Disciples were, I'm sure the disciples were intimidated at this point. I mean, as they got out of the boat that day, in the morning, the sun is now coming up, they get off out the boat, and the first thing they see is a man running out of the tomb down toward them, completely naked, shrieking, and, 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 you know, whatever he's saying, he's coming at them. And what we find out by Matthew is that not only was there one man that was doing this, but there were two men who were coming down, even though Mark and Luke focus on the one. We're told that there were two of them who came down by Matthew's account. And so there probably were two who were coming. And these two are running down there, and, and they're going to attack Jesus and the disciples because they don't recognize that it's Jesus there. So they're coming towards them. The disciples are intimidated, but what happens is when they get down towards Jesus, rather than attacking him, they fall on the ground before him. And they put their faces to the ground. Now Mark uses an interesting word here to describe what they do or this man, because I don't know what happened to the other demon-possessed man. He maybe ran off, but one of them makes a way down there. And, and what word that Mark uses is an interesting word. It's a word proskuneto in the Greek. And, it, and, and it, it's the same word we find it used another place in Scripture that's kind of a uniquely different setting. It's when the Magi come and find Jesus, and they come to the house where Jesus is as is now a, a newborn. And what do they do when Mary and Joseph show up at the door with Jesus in, in their arms or Jesus by their side, if he's maybe a toddler at this point, as some might suggest? They, they proskuneto him. They fall to the ground and they worship him and give him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying that this demon worshipped Jesus. But what he did do is he recognized the authority of Jesus. And he recognized the power of Jesus. And so as he takes this man down to the shoreline with him, all of a sudden the demon falls before Jesus because he recognizes it's no longer, it's no longer this idea that, you know, we're going to intimidate you. You get the picture here that they are bowing before Jesus. And, and here's what the demon says. What do you want of me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. How did they know his name? I'll tell you why. Because these demons knew Jesus. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. In eternity past, these demons served Jesus. They were in heaven with Jesus. 
until the time came when they were cast out of heaven because rather than siding with God as Lucifer or Satan led as a rebellion against God, they sided with Satan and were cast out of heaven never to be able to return. And so when they see Jesus, they know who he is. And they say, what do you want of me, Jesus, son of the most high God? They know the power that he possesses. They know the plan that he has. And so they're afraid now. What do you have to do with us? In fact, when Matthew describes it, they, they ask a question. They say, have you come to torment us or torture us before the time? And what's that talking about? Well, if you don't know, what that's talking about is the fact that demons know that there will be a day when they'll be thrown into the lake of fire forever to be tormented there because of their rebellion that they, they had against God and Jesus when they were in heaven. And they know what's waiting them. And here these demons are now wondering, have you come here before that time to deal with us now? Why would you come here and do that? You know, we know that Satan has that same concern, don't we? We know that Satan knows that what's going to happen to him because in the book of Revelation we find that it says that uh, the seven-year period of, of great tribulation will come upon the earth. Part of the reason is because Satan knows that his time is short and so he's going to do everything he can to kill as many people before his time runs out. And so these demons are afraid of Jesus here, and they're begging him again and again, don't send us away from this region. For some reason, this is the region they want to remain in. And so they're begging him, don't send us away from this region. And so what does Jesus do? It says here in verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding in the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs. Don't send us out of the region. Send us into the pigs and allow us to go into them. And Jesus gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, which would be a huge herd, rushed over the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Well, what's the effect of that? Well, the townspeople come out. It says that those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and to the countryside so people were hearing what was going on and the people went out to see what had happened. And so they come out there and they see all these pigs floating in the water because they've all been drowned as after they went over the cliff. And then they look at Jesus and it says when they came to Jesus they see the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind and they were afraid. Isn't that interesting? They were afraid. I mean, this guy, they looked at this guy and they could see that he had been completely transformed. That he had been completely made new. That's the power of Christ, isn't it? I mean, society's solution for this guy was what? What, what they thought was, let's chain him up, let's bind him up, let's tie him up, let's hold him down, let's keep him down, let's do everything we can to keep him from having the power that he has. But every time they did that, he simply had more strength and he broke the chains. And that's a great picture of our society today, isn't it, when it comes to evil and wickedness. I mean, we think that, what do you, how do you deal with people? You just chain them up. And if the chains are too strong, then you give them stronger chains. If the gun laws, gun laws aren't powerful enough, you make them more powerful. 
If the jails are too full, you send out all the people who aren't that bad and you fill it up with the really bad people. I mean, that's the solution that we have in our world. Society can't cope with Satan's power in our world. Society doesn't have the answer. And we understand that the only answer, and it's being shown here, to the supernatural power that's in our world around us today, the only answer is Jesus Christ. And so what did Jesus do for him? He set him free, and he put him in his right mind. That's really a description of faith, isn't it? Jesus comes and he sets us free, and he gives us the right mind. And you would think that the people would rejoice when they see this man now. You think that, I mean, they, they had watched this man over the years, and you think they would rejoice, but instead they say to Jesus, you're not welcome here anymore. You need to leave. See, and, and they saw him sitting at the feet of Jesus, and they know that something supernatural had happened. They know that Jesus had power to supernaturally change his lives, and they unner that unnerved them. And I'll, I'll guarantee that you might have met people, and I've met people like this, that when the power of God is seen in their family, or the power of God is seen in their neighborhood, or the power of God is seen in their region, it unnerves them to the point where they say, we don't want Jesus around any longer, and we, won't, we don't want to have to deal with this any longer, and so they don't want Jesus to be around. And so here was a group of people who didn't want Jesus to be around at all, and you're not welcome here. And so what does Jesus do? He leaves, doesn't he? But he doesn't leave without a message for the people. So as he leaves, this man comes down to him. It says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family. You've got a family here. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. You know what that was? That was the first mission. When Jesus sent him back, that was the first missionary that Jesus had sent to this region. This was a Gentile region. And this man becomes the first missionary that gets sent to bring the good news of what Jesus can do in a person's life to this region. Let me ask you this. How much do you have to know in order to share the good news with people around you? How much do you have to know? What do you have to be able to say to people that will share the good news around the people that you know? You know what it was for this man? It was simply this. My life was pretty much messed up until I met Jesus. My life was out of control till I met Jesus, and now my life has totally changed, and I'm a different person. You know what? That is all we need to know. And Jesus knew that this man knew them, and Jesus sent this man, and he became the man who was a madman that became the man who was a missionary. And he became a living testimony not only to his family and not only to his community, but to the whole region that there was a God in their place, in their area, who had come to set people free from the power of demons over their lives. 
You know, here's my hope today. My hope today is for every single one of us here that the reason we come is because we come to, have come to understand that Jesus has the power to change our lives. For this man, Jesus went from Capernaum through a night, through a storm, into the region of Gadarenes, Gentile region, to be able to bring the power of change that he could bring to them. For us, Jesus went from heaven, the glory of God's light, to earth, the realm of, God, of, of world's darkness, so that he could meet us and bring us to the point where he could set us free. See, that's what Mark wants us to know. That's the Jesus Mark wants us to know, the real Jesus. The real Jesus is not only the Lord over the natural world, the real Jesus is the Lord over the supernatural world. The Jesus who commands demons to obey, the Jesus who makes the darkness tremble, the real Jesus who sets fear in Satan's heart. He's the God who makes the demons tremble. Let's sing to him. So stand with me as we close and let's sing about this God 